This is the Kingdom Encounter Podcast with Glenn Blakeney. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to read a few verses here. Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse number 1. And then we're going to jump down to verses 5 through 8. And this is Jesus calling the 12. And it says here, and he called to him his 12 disciples. And he gave them authority. Say authority. Authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, jump down to verse 5. The 12, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Look at verse seven. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Wow. What an amazing passage of scripture. And here we see Jesus introducing the theme of the gospel of the kingdom. As you go, I'm sending you out. When you enter a town, when you go into a village or even a city, I want you to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Literally, it means that the kingdom is here, it's present. Remember when Jesus said, my betrayer is present with me, speaking of Judas, and it's that same, he, same Hebrew idiomatic expression, at hand, it literally means present. So he's saying, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's here. It's not pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, it's here. Right now, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I want you to proclaim that, and I want you to do more than proclaim. I want you to demonstrate the power of the kingdom by healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, and casting out demons. What a powerful testimony and a commission that Jesus gave to his disciples. Now, initially, the application here is to Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans or to the Gentiles, just go to the lost sheep of Israel because the gospel needed to be preached to the Jew first, then later on to the Gentiles. But we see in several chapters later, in chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus now elaborates and actually extends the application where he says to them, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. So now the kingdom gospel, the good news of the kingdom must be preached throughout the whole world as a witness or a testimonies to all the nations. So it's very important that we look at the reference here. He's just not talking about preaching, you know, what many of us would call the gospel today. He's very clear. He's very intentional that this is the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the etymology of the word kingdom, just think about it, is king and dominion or king and domain. Every kingdom has a king, has a domain or a territory, and in that domain, in that territory, is where the king exercises his rule and reign or his dominion. 
So when Jesus was on the earth, he preached the gospel of the kingdom. He healed the sick. He did many miracles, but we're told, and this is a very powerful passage of scripture, that Jesus actually not only proclaimed the kingdom, but he came demonstrating it. And so we read in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, that it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom. Then another translation says, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom. So he not only declared the kingdom, but he demonstrated the kingdom. He not only spoke of the kingdom, but he spread the kingdom. He said that the kingdom is here. He is basically saying the kingdom is present. Now enter it, experience it, and establish it on the earth. Enter it, experience it, and establish it on the earth. And I want to tell you tonight that God wants you to enter into his kingdom if you're already, if you're not already part of his kingdom, but if you are already in the kingdom, because the Bible says that no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. So if you're born again, you're translated from the domain of Satan into the kingdom of God's dear son, Colossians 1.13. And when you're in the kingdom, now it's up to you to optimize and to take full advantage of all that is yours. So experience the kingdom. What does that mean? It means you have to change your mindset. You have to change your expectation. You have to begin to believe that everything that the kingdom holds is yours. It's available to you now. And the reality is Jesus told us not to seek first religion, not to even seek first church, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why is that? Because the kingdom is paramount. Everything that we have need of is in the kingdom. Salvation is in the kingdom. Healing is in the kingdom. The presence of God is in the kingdom. The kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Everything that we have need of provision, miracles, everything is in the kingdom of God. So when we access the kingdom, when we begin to live in the kingdom under the domain and the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, we begin to experience that kingdom. And the next step is this thing is too good to keep to ourselves. We can't just keep this to ourselves. So as we go, and we are called to go, every one of us, we are to preach the kingdom. The kingdom is here. And Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, he said that by the Holy Spirit, he said, I cast out demons, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. So by the Holy Spirit, he would cast out demons. And he's saying it literally is the proof that the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. I want to share with you tonight. I want to encourage you to believe in the power of the kingdom. Everything that you have need of is in the kingdom. And so many times we act like those who've not received an inheritance. We ask God to do things for us when he's given us the kingdom. We ask God to heal us, to provide us with some finances or whatever we need. But he's saying, no, I give you, I've already given you a kingdom. 
Some of his final words, Jesus' words when he was on the earth just before he was about to depart and go to be with his father. He said to his disciples, as he said, as the father's conferred upon me a kingdom, I confer that kingdom upon you. That kingdom is yours now. Take advantage and access of this kingdom. It's yours. It's available to you now. You see, the kingdom was not a New Testament theological um, you know, idea like John, yes, he preached the kingdom and then Jesus preached the kingdom, but the kingdom of God was a reality. It was a place, a realm that was prepared for humankind, even for Adam and Eve back in the garden. Matthew 25, 34, it says that when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats, he says, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The kingdom was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see, we know that we're told to pray that thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Yes, it's his. But he has said that he wants to share that with us. He's bestowed upon us or conferred upon us a kingdom. And he's prepared us to be able to live in that kingdom since the foundation of the world. But something happened. Adam and Eve ate from the tree that was forbidden. And as a result of that, they forfeited that reality. They forfeited what God had planned for them. But Jesus came, according to Luke 19, 10, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what the English Standard Version says. The New American Standard Bible, which is another literal translation, says this, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, there are many other translations that says that which was lost. So something was lost, past tense. Now, the context, obviously, of this passage in Luke chapter 19, it immediately follows the story of Zacchaeus. So it certainly speaks of individuals being saved. But I want to submit to us tonight that I believe that many of us have have relegated salvation to something that is strictly spiritual in nature. But the gospel of the kingdom is not just about individual forgiveness and receiving God's mercy in our lives and and being prepared to, to be with him for eternity. But it is all about the restoration of all things. All things that Jesus said was, was God's plan in the beginning for us. He has come to restore that. Now, just want to, to just, you know, put, put it in here, make a statement here just to bring some clarification because sometimes when we think about the kingdom, there's two extremes. We think that everything happens now or nothing's happening now, but it will happen one day. You know, but the truth is both are realities. Both are facts. Because Jesus preached the kingdom, demonstrated the kingdom, brought the kingdom, and people experienced the kingdom. But there is a coming kingdom. There is a new Jerusalem. There is a kingdom that's coming. George Eldon Ladd in, in, in his seminal writing on the kingdom talks about the reality of the kingdom now, but not yet. The kingdom's here now, but it's not yet in its fullness. Why? Because the final enemy to be defeated is death. Yeah. 
1 Corinthians 15. And when Jesus comes back and he is in his, the fullness of his power and glory and brings the kingdom, then the final enemy to be defeated is death. And we'll see the restoration and the perfection of things, including the resurrection of the dead and the restoration of the heavens and the earth. That's a powerful reality that God is going to restore all things. What an amazing thing that God wants to do this. So Jesus came to restore the kingdom. It's an amazing thing for this is all about an invitation, literally, for us to enter into a new reality, to embrace a transformed way of living under the reign of Christ and to participate in the restoration of all things according to God's plan. To experience, think about this, the fullness of life in the realm and rulership of the kingdom of Christ. Wow. And when we begin to understand what Jesus did for us and how he made a way for us to experience his kingdom, it changes everything. If we could get a revelation of the kingdom and realize that we live in the kingdom and that all things pertaining to life and godliness, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours. 2 Peter 1.3, Ephesians 1.3. These are realities, everything we have need of. So we're asking God to give us things, and he says, I've already given you all things. It's yours. It's available to you. Now access it by faith, but come to a place where you begin to embrace the truth of my word. You see, I've, I've been around a lot of great men and women of God. I've had the privilege to see God do amazing things. And there are some people that when you speak with them and, you know, you say, what is the secret of your power? Why is it that so many people are healed through your ministry? So many miracles take place. And often they might say, well, I've consecrated my life fully to God. I've yielded myself fully to him. Or I spent a lot of time in prayer. But I found that there's another element There's another dimension that is often not talked about publicly. And that is the reality that many of these great men and women have a level of expectation based on a revelation that the fullness of the kingdom is at their disposal. You only give birth to that which you carry. There's a place where we birth miracles, signs and wonders, healing transformation, because nothing to do with our faith. Well, I feel like I have amazing faith today. I just, look, no, I don't understand it all, but I know the truth that Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and he didn't say that it's something that will happen if you prayed six hours that day. Please don't get me, take me wrongly. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. We need to pray. We must pray. We need to pray at a deeper level. And sometimes we need to, most of us pray even uh, in, in a longer time commitment each day. But there is a reality where we step into this place. I've seen people that pray that spend a lot of time seeking the face of God and they don't see many miracles. 
You know, I've seen God do crazy things when I wasn't prayed up. I've seen God do amazing things when I was prayed up. But then the time came when I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, I didn't pray enough today. I'm not prepared. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And he does. And he does. Because I've come to the realization that this truth is based on the revelation of the words of Jesus Christ, who said, I've given you the kingdom. I've given you the kingdom. Now extend my kingdom. Advance my kingdom. Preach my kingdom. Bring my kingdom to the people. Invite them to come into the kingdom. You might be here this afternoon and you're thinking, you know, I need God to do this for me. And I need God to do this. But we need to come to the place where we recognize that he's already done it. It is a revelation of the finished work of Jesus where he said, now I confer upon you this kingdom and everything that you need is found in this kingdom. See, Jesus came to reinstate and reestablish kingdom living. What was lost in the garden as a result of original sin was the perfect representation of his kingdom on planet earth. Think about that. What was lost in that garden was the perfect representation of his kingdom here on the earth. It was a utopia, a paradise. It was a place where there was no sickness, no disease, no pain, no suffering, no sin. It was absolutely perfect in every way. But as a result of the transgression, this reign and and this rule of Jesus Christ, because he's a good king, was forfeited. And the Bible actually tells us that Satan, the devil, became known as the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, lowercase g. He's the God of this world. In Ephesians 2 verse 2, he's known as the ruler or the prince of this world. In John's gospel, chapter 12 verse 31, again, the same word is used. Remember when Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Luke's account, it actually says that Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, in a nanosecond. And he said, all of these belong to me. I can give it to whomever I wish. Now just bow down and worship me. Now some of us would say, The devil is a liar. The devil doesn't own the kingdoms of this world. But we've already quoted scriptures that say that the enemy had illegal access. In fact, the Bible is clear. When Jesus was preaching in his day to the religious leaders in John chapter 8, the Pharisees, he said, your father is the devil. Love to attend that church. (laughs) Your father is the devil. And he said, he's a liar. So he was calling them (laughs) the same thing. You're following in the same vein. 
Do you understand that there is a reality in which ultimately, yes, all things belong to God and he uses it for his purpose. But because of the transgression, there was a forfeiture and there was a transfer of the title deed. So what happens is Jesus comes to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Jesus came to restore kingdom reality to you and me. He came that we could once again live in that kingdom. And as I said, the, the culmination of that will not happen until the resurrection and the return of Jesus Christ. But we are now in a state and a time where we can begin to access more and more the kingdom of God. And as we learn to live in that kingdom, we begin to draw from the limitless, inexhaustible resources of that kingdom. You see, there's, there's several things I want to share with you, three things specifically tonight that Jesus restored. And as you listen to what I'm about to unpack, I want to challenge you to begin to deal with those faulty belief systems, those presuppositions that you have that are based on the traditions of men and not the word of God. Because if you will embrace what I'm about to share with you tonight, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. A lot of the battles you're dealing with, a lot of the conflict, a lot of the lack and the limitation and the liability that you are experiencing will be dealt with once and for all. And you will know that your God will supply all your need. All your need. Did you hear that? My God, Paul said, will supply all my need according to what? His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. In other words, the glorious riches that are in the domain of the kingdom in Christ Jesus. What an incredible revelation. So three aspects of the kingdom that were restored by Jesus. Number one, intimacy was restored. Intimacy was restored. Now, I want you to please don't undervalue what, I'm, what, what happened here at the cross. Because guys, think about this. Back in the garden, it actually says in Genesis 3, 8, that Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. How did they know it was God? They heard. It didn't say they saw him. It says they heard the sound of the Lord God in the garden in the cool of the day. Well, first of all, the word that is translated sound in the Hebrew language literally means voice. They heard the voice of the Lord God. And that Hebrew term comes from a root word that means to call aloud. Think about that. This is a pattern. This is something that happened regularly. Adam and Eve are living in paradise and God comes down. God shows up and he calls aloud. God's voice is something that they become familiar with. They know it's him because they've heard him speak. 
They know the sound of his voice. And he's calling aloud. He's saying maybe, Adam, Eve, I've come down. Let's hang out. Let's fellowship. Let's commune together. Let's have this intimate relationship. I don't know what they did. I mean, what do you do with God? I mean, it's like, God, you want to catch up and have a coffee? I don't think so. But what do you do with God, really? But you worship him. You acknowledge him, but you enjoy his presence. You enjoy the beauty of his holiness and you bask in his presence, in his perfection. Very interesting. And then it says that when they heard his voice this time, they hid themselves. They hid themselves. Something was different. They had transgressed God's commandment. They ate from the tree that they were forbidden to do so, but they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, the man and his wife. It's very interesting. There's a play on words here in the Hebrew language. It says, I hid themselves. And literally this word means that to do something, to not be seen, to not be known, obviously that's self-evident, but the idea is secretively, to do something secretively. In other words, it was like they did not want God to find them. They did not want God to know where they were. But yet, this same Hebrew word is derived from another term that literally speaks of hiding for God. See, here they are now, they're hiding from God. But before, there is a sense in which they were hiding for God. Now, what do I mean by that? Because the word literally means this, the same Hebrew word, it means to lay in one's lap or bosom. In other words, he became their hiding place. He was their habitation. He was the one. It speaks of being warmed by one's breath. Think about that. And the word can also be translated to light a fire. So here they are in the garden before sin and they're enjoying the presence of God. There's intimacy, there's communion, there's closeness to the degree and the extent that they're being warmed by the breath of God. Jesus came to restore intimacy. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Do you realize how he longs to be with you, to spend time with you? Guys, he didn't create you to go to church. That's, look, listen, that's a challenge for most people today. That's a low water mark. And that's a challenge for most of us. God created you to come to a place of oneness and intimacy with him. There's so much more that he wants you to know. And the truth of intimacy is this. It's not about just praying. As important as it is to pray, and we should pray, but you can pray and not have communion or intimacy with the Father. The Pharisees prayed. The Pharisees studied the scriptures diligently, is what Jesus said in John 5. He said, these scriptures 
testify of me. But Jesus said, you refuse to come to me that you might have life. They knew the word of God, but not the God of the word. Now, I could really blow your mind here, but most Jews who were Pharisees had at least memorized, are you ready? The Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Some of them had memorized the whole Tanakh, which is the Old Testament. So when Jesus said, you diligently study the scriptures, some of them had memorized the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets. But he says, they testify of me, but you refuse to come to me. Wow. We can miss it in our religious efforts. We can miss it. We can read a book written by God and not see God in it. Not experience God. Jesus came to restore intimacy. John 17, verse 3, his high priestly prayer, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Gospels. Literally, just before he goes to the cross, Jesus prays, and here's what he says. Father, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. I've come to give them eternal life. I've come that they might have life and life more abundantly. So what do many of us have done? We said, well, that means God wants me to have an abundant life. That means a new car, more money. And we literally refer to those things that are temporal, but Jesus explains what eternal life is in, in, in no uncertain terms. Eternal life is knowing the Father. And Jesus Christ is the Greek word gnosko. And it means to know personally, intimately, and experientially. The equivalent in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word yada. And it says that God knew Adam and Eve, yada. What a powerful thing. It's used of the most intimate form of Communion between a man and a woman. When it says that Adam knew Eve and she gave birth, it's yada. When it says that Joseph knew Mary after Jesus was born, it's the word gnosko. To know in the most intimate way possible. God has created you and me to know him that way. I've come to a place in my walk with God. And let me just tell you, it's taken many years The school of hard knocks is overrated. Find a mentor. It'll save you like, flatten the curve a lot faster. I'm telling you. But find people that know God. That hear his voice. That walk with him. And I've come to a place right now in my walk with God. And sometimes I still struggle with this. Where I believe he wants to show me his will. I believe... He wants to do his will in my life and through my life. And so when I pray, when I ask something, I believe it's going to happen. And guess what? Nine out of ten times it happens. I mean, some crazy things have happened, even recently. And I've prayed, and I've said, okay, God, 
intervene in this situation. Boom, he disrupts it. Yeah, God, draw this person to yourself. God, deal with this. God, show me, answer me, confirm. And he does. I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to say anything until you speak to me, until you make it clear. And he does. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you. Listen, he's calling your name. He's calling your name. He's saying, son, daughter, I want to spend time with you. I want to commune with you. I want to share my thoughts. I want to reveal my secrets to you. I want you to know the most intimate details, to be privy of things. You see, it's very interesting that Jesus said in John 15, verse 15, he said, I no longer call you servants. This is a paraphrase because the servant has no idea what his master's doing. But I call you friends because friends know Slaves, servants, don't. And I say, everything that the Father has revealed to me, I've made known to you. Go. You know what he says in John 5, 20? He says, the Father has revealed to me everything. The Father reveals to me all things. Then he says in John 15, 15, everything that the Father's revealed to me, I've made known to you. Guys, have you seen how religion has exploited us? We've settled for a counterfeit. We settled for something that isn't real, that has no power, that's not able to transform. And we've experienced extreme lack, extreme impotency. We've experienced shortfalls. Not experiencing the fullness, but he came to restore intimacy with the Father. Secondly, he came to restore our identity as sons and daughters. Now listen, let me, let me just preface what I'm about to say with these words. You will never know who you are until you know who he is. 